Toy Talks. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first ever episode of Toy Talks. My name is Tudor Sigmund, director of Toy Talks, and today I bring you an episode where I got to sat down with Aiden Grenville, inside 2T2 plus PAY, currently in the arrow option. Aiden and I talked about his position as orientation chair and what it's like dealing with the uncertainties of orientation. We also got to sit down and talk a little bit about his PEY at IBI group. So I do hope you enjoy our conversation. Perfect. So Aiden, it's a pleasure to finally meet you. We've gone through a lot to get to the location to get to here. And I guess the first thing I want to ask you is how you're do- how are you doing today? How's everything going so far? And I'm doing well. It's a, you know, it's, it's the weekend. Uh, we're moving towards orientation, obviously coming up pretty soon, just about a month now, but, um, things are coming together. You know, we've, uh, recently received, um, sort of some good news towards our planning. We'll be sharing soon. Um, and just, uh, yeah, everything's kind of moving in the right direction and it's, uh, it's nice to be nice to be moving forward, I guess. So, um, yeah. How are, how are you doing today? I guess I'm finally happy to be doing this interview with you. And I'm glad to hear that like Frosh is also getting good news and going forward in a good manner as well, which is always great because Frosh is such a big experience. Now, I guess on the theme of Frosh, like for you, how important was Frosh like during your first year for you? Yeah. So for me, I think, um, so I'm someone, you know, who has a bit of a Canadian background, but really didn't grow up in the country at all. Um, I grew up partly in the States and partly in the UK. And it was, so for me, you know, it was kind of coming to this new place. Obviously I, I, you know, had some of the similar experiences and I was lucky, you know, that I already, um, you know, English was my first language and things like that, but it was still being in a new place and being in a new, um, a new city and with new people and doing a new thing. And I think it's, it's a really powerful, um, you know, orientation, the goal is to kind of break down some of those barriers and make it so uh, people are, you know, people have a chance to kind of start their, start their next phase of their, of their, um, you know, their education and their, their journeys, if, if you will. And I think for me, I guess it was, I was someone who's particularly you know, nervous about coming in and I was like, oh gosh, you know, my friends, will I fit in? Are people going to be nice? And I think Frosh kind of just through the, you know, silly environment and through the, through just people being kind of vulnerable in a way really helped me to kind of kickstart uh kickstart university and obviously you know we know that the first two days are not not at all the you know the culmination right there's still so much more that you do in terms of finding your place joining design teams joining clubs etc um and i think that you know those first two days are just the start but hopefully uh you know we we make it a good start i guess you talked about like how that's like really kind of like the start for you then yeah like what was your kind of experience as a first year like joining clubs what clubs did you join what did you find worked really well for you like coming in and what did you find that you needed to improve on as a first year yeah so i think that um you know looking back now i was definitely I was keen to join um, design teams. It was one of those things I was like, oh, this is so cool. I was someone who did robotics in high school, um, through first robotics, um, for people that have heard of that. It's sort of a robotics competition kind of, uh, where you, uh, you know, work to design thing, uh, design a robot every year in a team. Um, and so I was really excited about the notion of design teams. I was like, oh, I kind of know this. This is something I want to do. However, I think um, I was pleasantly surprised throughout first year kind of, discovering that there was actually almost more to that. And, you know, the, I, I joined UTAT, um, so it's the aerospace team, um, for those who are familiar on the on the unmanned aerial vehicles team. And I had a lot of fun with that. However, I think 
that was sort of like a stepping stone, if you will, to joining other things and kind of taking on um, some larger roles. And so one of the things towards the end of the first year, I was like, honestly, I want to get involved with orientation. And I think that was an important experience of my first year. And it's partly just, you know, it is a lot of fun, actually. Uh, the people I find, it always, it always attracts great people. And so it's a nice thing to be able to do over the summer. It also is pretty encapsulated in the summer. So those were kind of my two main things I did in first year. And then going into second year, I um, decided just to try getting a bit more involved in EngSoc um, as a class representative and yeah I just found you know sort of a whole new group of people through that and I think um, to me one of the things I enjoyed was just discovering these different groups of people uh, in in these different clubs design teams and it's kind of amazing how much um, you know how much everyone has their thing and has their niche in a way and some people for some people that's a design team that they're super passionate for all those years for me it's been a little bit more back and forth between several different things I guess maybe now you can say my thing is orientation based on how I've been involved with it, but uh, it's a, I think the, you know, I, I wish I had been a little bit more um, open in first year and tried a few more things before just settling into Utah. There's a different way that it works for everyone. Some people also um, choose to choose not to do a lot in first year and just focus on getting comfortable with their new, you know, living outside of the house, maybe uh, new academics, uh, especially in engineering, obviously we know that there's, there's a lot to do academic wise. So, uh, it's a big change for high school. So you talked about how like you and your first year, like really wish you got more involved. What would you say to those two T4s who weren't able to do that last year because of the online situation and how should they approach kind of this coming in for their second year? Should they kind of also try to take that same approach that the two T5s are going to take, like try everything out, test the waters or yeah. is there something else you think they should be doing? I mean, I would say it's really whatever works for you. And there's so many different things. Some people, as you know, I said, some people join seven clubs or whatever in first year and most of them they don't really stick with. Um, other people do get super involved and they, you know, their extracurriculars are their thing. Um, other people choose to kind of just focus on academics in first year. And so it really, it goes, I think it, it, there's something unique for everyone. And I, I would say just, especially for the 2T4s, you know, you can treat it as, um, you know, you can treat it as a fresh, a fresh start, if you will, I think on campus and, you know, just choose what you're interested in. And it really, so few design teams are expecting you to come in with this, like any real experience. Um, and the whole point is, is learning because, you know, realistically who comes in knowing how to, um, you know, design X, Y, or Z or use a certain piece of software. Like the whole point is to learn and improve. And so um, I would, you know, as 2T4s, I don't think you're at all sort of behind on that um and it's just you you now get this opportunity to just see what you enjoy and try try a few different things and try joining some different things and uh see where that takes you honestly um i think the 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 thing is you know at the end of the day i my my perspective is always you try it out you give it a fair shot and if you don't like it you know you respectfully say like you know you don't just maybe peace out of the team because uh that can be hard if you know you're if you're a team lead and you're just suddenly half your members just leave without any warning but you know you can say look like i think i'm gonna try something else and that's that's part of the point to explore so i think uh i don't know i i never feel bad about trying things in, um, in your first or second year so now with your experience as like orientation chair and like how you were able to try that out is that something that you would like want to continue doing next year because I know next year you're going into your last year because this is your pay year, right? Yeah. So this is um this is my yeah work year. So um I would say 
my journey through orientation has been in, in, after my first year, I was uh, one of the food and beverage subcommittee co-chairs. Um, so that was a lot of fun. I had a great co. Um, so we, you know, subcommittee chairs, they work in pairs. Um, and I remember just, you know, Kelly and I had a great time. It was um, kind of one of those, it's one of those things that it's, that you just get a certain amount of adrenaline and it was, uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily all conventional fun. There was a lot of times we were like, at 11 p.m., we were like sorting snacks in like a giant bin uh, um, and like putting them into different boxes. But there's a certain degree of camaraderie, I think, and a sense of like, you know, we were all coming into first year once and we were all nervous. And I mean, honestly, I don't remember a lot of like my own Frosh week. There's the, the specifics are, are kind of, they all blur together. But um, I think people, you know, people enjoy coming together for orientation. And as upper years, it's amazing how, you know, upwards of 500 people come out every year as leaders, as volunteers, as planners, uh, and the whole array of, of roles. And then after after second year, I wanted to get involved a little bit more. And so I applied to be a vice chair position on the exec team um, uh, for logistics. So that's one of the uh, one of the roles that works on uh, planning about eight of the events. That was a lot of fun. Obviously, totally a curveball last year uh, and, you know, about three weeks into three weeks into our exec team, all you know, getting to know each other and starting to work, uh, school shut down, and that was a pretty big curveball for us. However, um, I am proud of what we you know managed to pull off last year. Honestly, I think it was it wasn't uh, you know obviously it, it can't compare to an in person orientation experience. But the fact that you know as as a completely student run thing with limited funding with limited uh, you know, just the ability to kind of, you know, we all work day jobs as well. I think we, I was just pleased with what we managed to come up with. It was a great team. Um, and I just, I really enjoyed working with them. So I was like, honestly, I think, you know, I, I, I'd at least put my, put my hat in the ring for orientation chair and no one else did this year. <laughs> so, it, you know, I, it was, it was my thing. And then I was like, let's, you know, let's see where this goes. And I've um, been incredibly pleased for the team this year. They're all, excellent and it's just been it's, it's been really exciting to see how i think people are starting to get excited as we return to campus a little bit more and hopefully it can just you know be a little bit closer to the you know, the, the in-person brush that uh, i guess 2t4s don't necessarily know about but the rest of us you know I'll, I'll, i think i'll remember at least some of them yeah so then logistically speaking which one was the harder one to plan for you was it the one where you 100% knew everything was going to be online or was it this year's where it's kind of uncertain or like it was uncertain at one point or another, whether or not it would be online or in person and you had to have all those backup plans available to you. For sure. So I think, um, you know, one of the things last year, that, uh, I think Gabe actually, so we were in chair last year, Gabe, he did a really, uh, you know, he, he made a really good decision on was actually starting to plan from the beginning saying, look, this isn't going to necessarily go away. There's not an end game immediately in sight over the course of the summer. So let's focus on delivering the best online orientation we can. And rather than trying to sort of plan for this in-person thing, probably isn't going to happen. Probably isn't going to happen. Probably isn't going to happen. And then having to pivot at the last moment to something online. Um, you know, we just were like in late May, we were like, let's focus on online. The faculty hasn't even made this announcement, but we just think it's a smart thing to do. Um, and I think that was excellent because that really enabled us to um, to get um, uh, you know to get sort of a whole a whole array of things that we might not have otherwise done uh, because we had more time to reimagine things. I think there were definitely things we learned that we would want to have wanted to do better. Um, however, you know that, that that's part of the experience. I think this year is 
a bit of a different thing because there is actually this sort of realistic potential end game. We're not end game, but at least uh, you know things it are getting like better. There's this upswing. Better. Yeah, exactly. And so you know, we really never wanted to be this thing of making this decision in May based on the information we had then and sort of regretting it the rest of the summer being like, ah, shucks, we could have done X, Y, or Z in person. It would have been more engaging. And we also wanted to match, you know, what the faculty is doing in terms of classes, because if you're having class in person, you should have orientation in person. And, and likewise, you know, what people are doing in their personal lives, right? If you're able to go out and eat indoors in a restaurant, really, you know, why shouldn't you be able to do some activities on campus? And so I think, um, you know, I'd like to think we've tried to sort of balance various needs this year and tried not to, you know, be uh, too much of whiplash for most of the for most of the planning. There's definitely been times where we've had to switch things back and forth. However, you know, I can confidently say we're on we're on a very good track right now to um, delivering something that looks an awful lot closer to normal than um, that than it certainly might have been just a few weeks ago. So I think that's also been you know exciting to see. However, it's not without a lot of work with the faculty, a lot of work with uh, health and safety, and a lot of work with just trying to really advocate for the fact that orientation is uh, it's not sort of just another student activity. It's a, it's a really formative part of undergrad and, you know, is helpful for, uh, for all sorts of things because realistically, you're not going to do well academically. You're not going to enjoy your time here if you don't have a support network, if you don't feel like you're, you're involved, if you don't feel like you sort of belong here. And that's what orientation is the first step towards. No, for sure. Now, like towards a more like personal perspective, how rel- relieved were you? Oh, well, I guess you are in your pay year, but how relieved were you as like a co-chair when the faculty announced that school would be in person, like, like orientation chair, like yeah. that announcement, was it to you like a big relief knowing that like everything that you did, like that it could return to in person and just be that like big relief once again? Was it a relief? I will say, I I think there were certain certain limited aspects of online learning that I appreciated last year. I think there was a certain degree of almost independence and ability to learn how how works best for you that returning to necessarily a sort of primarily lecture-based format um, in person won't 100% achieve. Um, That being said, I think that there's a lot of good that's coming from returning to in person. And it's just, it also, you know, it sets the stage for the rest of, campus activities that make sort of the university experience the university experience, not just the, the educational aspect. And so I think, um, I mean, I was very relieved that sort of we had, had been having these conversations with the faculty prior to that announcement. And so we sort of knew it was on its on, on the way. But regardless, I think it was a real, uh, you know, it, it was really nice to see that that was being publicly communicated and just to see that there was actually really the support from um, from the university for, for us, for, for classes. And I think Again, like I can't sort of personally comment because I'm not uh, in class this fall because uh, I'm working. But um, I think for for everyone I know that is, it's it, it's going to be a change, and I think there'll definitely be a sort of transitionary period of actually getting used to doing this again. Um, but that I think it really will be for the best ultimately. So then you did the two T O year, two T one year online and that was your specialized your first specialization year right so you're an insight arrow Mm -hmm. correct how did you feel like doing that first year of your specialization online was that something that like was scary to you or was it something that like you really like did not enjoy or was it something that you know like the situation is this 
I can't really do anything about it. I'll just try to do what I can. Yeah, I think for me, it was definitely a bit of a, you know, honestly, uh, a bit of making the best of it situation, right? Because we we knew that we were like, there, there's not much we can do um, about it. So I think that being said, um, I think the, especially in the aerospace option, one of the things I appreciated was it's only about 17 or 18 people. So it was really compared to some of the sort of larger lecture experiences online. Most of our lectures, even when combined with some other people from other options were no larger than about like 50 to 60 people, which I think um, was really beneficial just because it was a great opportunity to actually not feel like you're an entirely a number in lecture um, and having, uh, you know, as, as the material gets more advanced and you sort of also know more what you want to study and what you want to learn, how you want to learn. Um, I think it was a, it was a nice experience that, you know, it was easier to talk to the profs, uh, especially online. And sometimes you know, our lectures were incredibly small just because of people in other time zones or people choosing to watch the lectures later. Like you know, there were times there were like four or five people in a lecture. And I think that was, that was almost a cool experience because you could get through the material and there was more time to just you know talk to the prof if you had a question um that being said you know we also did lose out on some of the lab experiences that would normally be uh in in that year for arrow and i think that was a little bit disappointing but again uh, you know to be honest it was one of those things of like it was i think everyone did the best that they could do and there were there were almost bigger problems uh just because you know my my perspective is always like the you know we, I think in Arrow, they really did try their best and there was a lot of opportunity for feedback and it was a good thing that like, it was small enough that realistically, if we all complained, then changes would be made. Uh, and so even if it was a bit intimidating to not necessarily know like, oh, do I like Arrow? Because I haven't necessarily been to labs and things like that. Um, I think it was still, I wouldn't say that it was like a wasted year or anything and I, I definitely learned things, so. As a Arrow specialization, did you always know you wanted to go into Arrow or? Was that something you wanted to decide after your first two years of NSI? Yeah, so I, I definitely, um, I've always been interested in planes or, you know, maybe not always, but definitely for a, a while now. Um, and I think that kind of, my interest in aviation stems from a few different factors. And so it, it seemed almost a natural, uh, natural progression, I guess. Um, that being said, upon kind of getting into NSI, I was like, huh, okay, there are these other options. I feel like I should give them a fair consideration. I don't want to sort of, immediately uh you know lock myself into this one thing i think a lot of people a lot of people in NSI, i mean there's sort of the two types there's people that apply knowing that they don't know and that like they'll you know they'll do NSI to try to figure out and then there's the people that have an incredibly specific thing of wanting to do x y or z and they know they want to do x y or z and they've wanted to do it for a while and they're doing NSI because that's offered to that and so i think i was a little bit somewhere in the middle of thinking i liked arrow but also <laughs> As soon as I got there, I was like, huh, maybe I should sort of consider all of the above. Um, so in the end, I kind of went back and forth between a number of different options. Um, in the you know, when all was said and done, I didn't stick with Arrow because I was like, this just kind of makes sense. Um, one of the ones that I was, you know, sort of always interested in too was the infrastructure option, but that uh, that actually wasn't available to starting in my year. Um, and so I've, I've kind of tried to explore that side of my interest as well through, through my work term, which is uh, an IBI group, which is a transportation, um, sort of, yeah, transportation, civil engineering style uh, consulting company. So we work with, uh, I'm in the transportation planning group and we work with a lot of different cities, governments, regions um, to help them plan their transit and their transport. And it's kind of a big puzzle of transit, of roads, of uh, goods movement, of, um, pedestrians and cyclists. So it, it's been nice to kind of you know, have that backdrop of 
studying arrow in school and also being able to experience kind of the infrastructure side through work. Do you know which one you prefer between the two right now? <laughs> That's a great question. I I would not say I know yet. I think um, I think the verdict's still out a little bit there, honestly. Uh, I, I would say I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping I will know more by the end of the work term before uh, before whatever comes next. So <laughs> no, for sure. Now you, you did choose. You did say that you kind of came into UFT knowing you wanted to go into Arrow, and that was something you were like interested in. Why UFT engineering though? What was it that drew you towards UFT? Yeah, so one of the things you know for me, I really wanted to to go somewhere that I think was going to be a bit larger. I'd um, grown up in a couple of college towns, one in the states, one in the UK, kind of between the two, and I wanted to experience something that would be a bit of a larger city, have more going on. And I think uh, to me, you know, Toronto seemed like a good option for that because uh, it was a nice combination. I have some relatives here, so it's, it's a little bit familiar. I had been here a few times. It wasn't sort of this completely unknown place, but it also was, you know, far enough away that I'd grown from where I'd grown up that it would be kind of my own experience and my own thing. Uh, and then, uh, you know, it was also, uh, you know, the program really, I think, was ticked a lot of the boxes of what I was looking for, some flexibility, but also, uh, you know, also having a lot of interesting options. And that is something I liked in, in Enchilis, but specifically of having kind of the more unconventional options, if you will, uh, compared to just um, some of the more like traditional engineering options. And so I guess all of that conspired, you know, even when I was applying to university, I'm not sure I was like, you know, had, I didn't ever sort of have my heart set on UOT initially, but I think once, you know, once everything happened with that, I was like, okay, this makes sense. I think, um, I think this is a good choice. So I'm not sure if it's a great story. I feel like I almost just sort of, uh, there's, there's part of me that sometimes is just like, oh, I ended up here, <laughs> but I, I definitely haven't you know, enjoyed it since I've been here. No, I feel like a lot of different people come to U of T from different pathways and have different yeah. stories ending up. And it's, like, it's never always going to be that U of T has been my dream school since I was three years old and I've no. always set my eyes on U of T. Like, yeah, we all end up here in one way, in a different way. And I think that's kind of yeah. like the beauty of it, because when we do share these stories, it allows us to kind of understand that everyone has a different pathway, but we can all end up in the same place together. Absolutely. No, I, I, I agree with that. I think that there's a lot of, I mean, in my perspective, I think is a ways that I've never been super into choosing the school first. I feel like you sort of need to know what you want to do at a given place first, and then you figure out where can offer that and where also has the other combination of what you're looking for in terms of like lifestyle, you know, all the other factors there. So For sure. All right. So then moving on to more like kind of like your own life and like how you live like off on campus, off campus. Have you yet to like kind of figure out like... Was it very helpful being in Toronto dis to discovering who you wanted to be as a person? Like, did that change in scenery affect you or influence you in any way? Or was it more kind of like the environment at school that did help that? No, I would definitely say it was, it was the, I think, I think both kind of played a factor. Um, I do think there was a lot of, uh, I think there was a lot of sort of, uh, you know, just being in a new place that allowed me to, I don't know if reinvent myself is the right word, but be kind of, uh, you know, I, I, like, like not sort of be this person that I was in high school. And it was a bit of a like freshly and new starting point, I think, which was really helpful. And then kind of continuing, I think, um, you know, as I've, I, I guess, yeah, as I've, you know, lived more on my own, I guess, I, I think I've become more of my own 
person and there, there's some really nice features there. I think just, you know, as you, as you live more on your own, you're like, okay, this is how I want to live. This is what I like to do. And you kind of have that independence that grows and grows and, you know, it starts in first year. And then I think it gets more as you move off campus and other years, and you know, it increases more as you also do other various adulting tasks. And I think it's nice. It's like, you know, universities at the end of the day, it's a bit of a sandbox for all of that. And so you can, you can do it in a, in a more chill manner without kind of going off the deep end. Um, so like all of that, I think, would, you know, I think all of it points to like, I have, it's been nice to have this process. And I think that, you know, university in Toronto has been a nice backdrop to have for that. So yeah. What are your favorite places in the city? Like favorite restaurants, favorite places to go hang out? Um, yeah, I think the, the, this is a good question. Um, so, I mean, I live for, for PY, I've, I've moved up to, um, to North York, which is sort of just north of the city. Um, and it's, you know, it's definitely a change of scene. There's a lot, um, there's, it, it's kind of different. Like I, I'd lived downtown previously. Um, so I've only been there for a few months. I still come downtown frequently. Uh, and I think the, um, I'm trying to think of specifics, actually. <laughs> I'm very indecisive. I don't know. I, I do just like generally being around, like, especially the annex area, um, around, um, you know, around uh, sort of Kensington Market and things. I know it's a bit of a cliche answer. The, <laughs> there are a couple of, like, um, there are a couple of restaurants I specifically like in, there's a good, um, it's a good sushi place. I now totally forget the name of it. It's on Bloor Street, uh, which is very unspecific. However, at the end of the day, I think I'm kind of, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm open to anything. I think especially this summer, I've just enjoyed being able to see friends I haven't seen in a while and, you know, go and do some of these things that are, um, that are, uh, you know, a little bit that we've missed for the last year. So. No, for sure. Now you said that you, because of PY, you do live like in North York, North York. Hmm. How do you find this like difference in like the city from like downtown or like, you know, St. George campus kind of area compared to North York? Is that like, do you see like a big difference between the city or is it just kind of like same city, but a little bit more spread out? Yeah, I would say North York has a different feel. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely, um, so the sort of history there is it used to be a separate city before it's all amalgamated into Toronto. So it's interesting that it has, it actually does have its own sort of downtown core um, that I live nearby. So like I live right near French station. So for anyone that's familiar with it, there's sort of this like um, downtown strip, I guess you could call it between on Young Street between sort of like Shepherd and Finch. So it's about like two kilometers long. And it's, it's interesting because I would say it's one of sort of like the densest places outside of downtown. So it's interesting. You have this kind of like downtown equivalent. It's not the same. It's not nearly as large. So I think there's some differences, you know, it's not, it doesn't really feel like downtown as much because honestly, I think downtown is cooler because it has sort of this more like history and whereas North York is more like a dense commercial center uh, to sort of serve this surrounding suburbs. And so I think you miss out on a lot of like the, you miss out on a lot of the sort of like cool independent businesses and history, et cetera, that you get downtown, which I like. So I guess I like, I like coming back downtown. I definitely, you know, would miss, uh, I, I miss living in downtown, but it's also nice to be, you know, bit cheaper rent, bit larger area and be able to TTC downtown pretty quickly. <laughs> For sure. I, I guess that's one of the most good convenient compromise. things. Yeah, no, Toronto, yeah. like if you like, cause even like talking about how like your pay, co like your PEY co-op is and like infrastructure, yeah. how do you rate the TTC's infrastructure? 
<laughs> that's a that's a good question. So I actually do um, work on some of the service planning. Like one of one of the many projects that we're consulting on is um, service planning for one of the new subway extensions. Um, and so I think you know honestly the, the TTC actually it may it may get a bad rap sometimes. I think is actually I guess you know partly I've grown up in, in the states on the west coast and so the standard is very low there for for public transit. However, um, I think the the coverage of the TTC is maybe not amazing. However, I think the there you know it, it is actually pretty functional at the end of the day, and you can get a lot of places on it. So um, I would I would say it's pretty good. <laughs> what what makes you say that the coverage is isn't pretty good on the TTC? Because in my opinion, I think that's what the TTC does best. Because every kind of block in Toronto is covered by at least like a bus line, in my opinion. Yeah. So. That's a good point, actually. The, the bus the bus service covers it pretty well. The subway service, there's a lot of places that have subway have subway transit density and subway transit demand that don't necessarily do it because there's a bit of a history of you know the, the provinces the province and the city have had a whole variety of transit intensification projects, whether that's light rail, whether that's bus rapid transit, whether that's subways, and those have been around for. A very long time, um, and they, they they frequently get sort of canceled and restarted every four years or so with different governments. And so, I think one of the challenges there is just the lack of um, the lack of consistency, almost. And I think the you know you'll you'll end up with you know, one government being all about building a couple of new light rail lines, and then so I mean if you if you live in Toronto, I'm sure um, any anyone who's listening, you know you've. You're aware of the the Eglinton LRT and how Eglinton Street has been a complete mess for about ten years now. So I think that's just it's symptomatic of you know for a growing city, um, you really want high quality transit and buses are absolutely a start. But there's also places where you know the demand could definitely warrant something a bit a bit more than a bus. And I think so downtown, you know, the streetcar network is is good and it's it's very iconic as well. But when you get when you get a bit further out, there, there I think there's opportunities for improvement. But. I think it's pretty good. What improvement would you like to see? Like if you could make one improvement right now, what would it? Uh, that's a good question. So I think I would like to see, um, wait, I would like to see probably primarily introducing the relief line or Ontario line as it's called um, to relieve some of the demands on the Southern section of line one for the subway. I will say, I think I, I, I'm just, you know, I know a little bit more about the subways through work. So that's kind of what I, one of the projects that I work on. So I'm, I'm sure there are things with the buses too, but introducing that would then allow the subway to be extended further north into the suburbs, which, um, you know, would be beneficial, honestly, for everyone because it reduces car congestion um, going into downtown. And it's just uh, obviously a much more sustainable way to travel and, um, you know, really would improve rather than sort of everyone having to, if you're, if you're in, Richmond Hill or Markham rather than having to take a bus south and change the subway, just having, you know, offering that subway service directly. Um, it, it, it's an area where rather than, you know, designing transit and waiting for it to grow, there's already, there's already plenty of population, plenty of jobs. And so, um, the, you know, there's a lot of stands to gain from both employment lands and, and residential lands up there. No, for sure. Then I kind of have a question for you about the current like yellow line. Do you yes. believe that the yellow line like should stay as a U or do you have a better way of cutting up the current yellow line? So for those of you who don't know, the yellow line runs from 
North York down Young Street, then it, it curls around Union Station, and then it comes back up towards Vaughan. Now, my issue with it is it's too long. I don't know if you have the same issue, Aiden. Yeah, so from an operational perspective, I'm not super, super knowledgeable about this. Although I have some colleagues that work on it. It is um, generally the longer a line you get, whether it's a bus line, whether it's a subway line, the more prone to delays and bunching you are because any any delay at one station, even if it's a minute on one train, will sort of propagate throughout the network. And then you'll, you'll end up with, you know, with all these um, crazy propagations throughout, you know, the 38 station line. And so... I think it does. I will say, um, you know, honestly, it does. I'll, I'll give. I think the. I think the yellow line makes sense for what it does. I do think that, um, or the, you know, live one. Um, it does. It also. It, it would be, just you know, the way that the tracks and the platform are set up right now. It, it would be challenging to turn things at Union Station. Um, given that, like, I, I'm not actually super knowledgeable about the operational details of it. I think. I know that it sees overcrowding on especially the young section south of Bloor Young um, and, 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 you know, at Bloor Young, uh, basically because if you sort of think of it as, you know, it's collecting people, it starts way up north at Finch and then it collects people as it goes south and south and south and most people are traveling further south. And so you reach this point where suddenly you're trying to add more people to the train and it gets pretty full during the southbound rush hours. And that's why actually you can't just extend the subway north because you'd see overcrowding um, even with increased train frequency. And so... I think, well, it could be useful if there was sort of a redesign of Union. It's also probably not the, um, you know, the way that the subway currently operates isn't necessarily the choke point to that. For sure. Then, okay, transitioning to a completely different area. <laughs> this current toyk is young adult toyk based on um, kind of like the books we would read as kind of kids. Mm -hmm. Did you ever have like a favorite book series growing up? Oh gosh, I was, um, I've got to say, I did like Hunger Games a lot. Um, it definitely kind of scared me too when I was reading it, like, I don't know, 12 or 13, long time ago. Um, I think it was, I liked it for the fact that I, so I'm super like kind of nerdy about geography and I loved also seeing the maps of sort of like basically envisioning like the 13 districts and um, Panem or whatever it was called. I don't remember. Anyway, the I, I, I liked kind of seeing um imagining that map and imagining kind of how that was laid out and that almost, you know, fictional, fictional world. Um, also, obviously it's kind of disturbingly based on, on you know, what the, what the U S is like. And so I think the, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's just, it, I, I enjoyed that one in particular. Cause I think I, I liked the fact that it was sort of, it, it had some geographical connection and I could imagine like the places in the book as real places. Did you have a favorite book out of the three? Um, to be honest, I remember what happened in Hunger Games the best, so I will say that the first one. <laughs> I feel like that's what happens with most book series. You kind of read the first one, you remember the details, and then it kind of just trickles down from there. Yeah. Now, kind of like you chose to like Hunger Games because of its more like geographical aspect and being able to imagine the districts. Did you have mm -hmm. a favorite district? I mean... Okay, so I guess, like, even though probably unpopular opinion, I guess I kind of like the capital because it seemed like the nicest. Uh, <laughs> I think district-wise, I remember it was, see, didn't, I think a lot of the districts weren't really described in great detail except for District 13, I want to say, which everyone kind of spoke from. Um, I, I maybe related the most to the Pacific Northwest one because that was kind of where I grew up and where, um, you know, where I was most familiar with. 
before I had looked it up in some other places too. And so I think I related the most to the one, um, the, 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 the one on the West Coast, so the Pacific Northwest. I'm, I'm kind of a West Coast kid. Growing up as like a West Coast kid, what was something that you really enjoyed doing? Um, I, I've always been, I've always really liked camping. I was, it's a bit of a stereotypical answer, but I actually, I, I do like camping a lot. I like hiking. Um, Have you ever been hacking. to uh, Algonquin? Algonquin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been to Algonquin a few times. I actually went um, last November during reading week, which is a lot of fun. Um, we Ooh. went up and did um, some great uh, night photography and just um, had a good time with a couple of friends and uh, really enjoyed it. It was just, it was a great experience and kind of, um, it was super nice too because no one else was there in November. So one night we drove down, what was it? I think it was literally like 20 miles off the main road down this like small uh, access road and just like got to this little dam on the lake and um, just like was there for like two hours taking, taking star photos and just like no light pollution at all. I guess that's like the beauty about like Ontario in itself is like you can kind of like travel north for a couple hours and then you get to those like zones where there's no light pollution whatsoever. And it's yeah, just, yeah. you look, were you always a fan of looking up and seeing just stars scattered? Yeah, I, I definitely have, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of a, so I like, you know, I definitely like, um, you know, being, especially on the West coast, being out in the wilderness and the woods, um, I love kind of just being alone in the woods, especially at night. I think that's kind of a cool experience. You ever get it's scared? Just, it's really nice. Um, I definitely have. Like, <laughs> I think I, my thing is always like, I'm always more scared of other people rather than necessarily animals. I mean, and it depends where you are. Like, obviously, if you're in the area with like significantly dangerous animals, then yes, that's not as good. But like, Ontario is pretty safe. Um, the Northwest is pretty safe. Um, so I think the, I think that the I've never I've never felt too terrified of, of the animal specifically. Do you have any advice for those people that are kind of like on the verge of wanting to go camping? So they they've never gone camping before and they're kind of like, eh, do I consider it? Yeah. So I think the um, I think the biggest I would say the biggest thing is, you know, start like a night or two on a weekend in the summer in somewhere that's maybe not busy, busy, because you don't want to sort of have the experience of like tent city. Um, that's what I call it of like when you have a ton of people around you who are all like blasting music and are there with like their dogs and RVs and generators and things like that. Um, so I think that um, the, I think that the best advice I have was, would be to like, yeah, I think the best advice I have would be to um, uh, sort of have, I think, do it, do it like, light to start with and then uh, you know there's there's lots of stuff you can read online too find a tent find you know food that's easy to cook and things like that and it, it's pretty um you can do it at a very like introductory level i guess and, and just you know go and have fun if you don't like it you don't like it and that's cool and i think that's one of the things there's you know is not for everyone at all and there's um you know people like to do a lot of different things but that's i i enjoy being outside and i think it's a nice way to kind of even though I always find I spend most of the week just sitting on my computer all day and then all evening. Um, it's a nice change of scene. <laughs> What's your favorite camping food? Oh, that's a good question. Um, there are, I do quite like, there's like, well, specifically for backpacking, I will often make um, couscous with, um, you can like mix in sausage and then dehydrated vegetables. And it's very good because it's pretty light. It's like, quasi-nutritious not really but like at least you can kind of feel like you have some protein and vegetables um 
right. And yeah. so the, um, I like that. It's nice because it's sort of, uh, yeah, and it's all good. And it's, it's nice because it kind of, uh, it's light to bring and it's, it's easy to focus on. Yeah, for sure. I've always kind of been a fan of like, I know it's generic, but just s'mores when you go camping, like yes. it's really hard to maintain, but just on the first night you have to at least have s'mores. Yes. No, that, that's, that's, that's a classic. Even though it sounds generic. No, it's, it, it's all good. I mean, I, I definitely, I, I make s'mores too. I'm just bad at roasting the marshmallows. That's always the thing. Do you stick them straight into the fire? No, see, I, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that bad. I just, I always find that like either it doesn't get cooked or then it gets burnt. And like, I'm very bad at just making it brown because I really don't like it when it's burnt, but I also really don't like raw marshmallows. So there's like that sweet spot in the middle. And it also takes a while to kind of get it to that brown. So the, exactly. the amount of patience it takes after a long day of like either hiking or canoeing while you're camping, yeah. it's just no, sometimes exactly. you don't have enough patience for that. So I can yes. understand you. Yeah. Unfortunately too, especially when I've been recently on the West coast, the, the classic thing is that um, there's always fire bans because of the risk of wildfires, which is good, but also then you can't really do campfires. So uh, you kind of lose that on the s'mores aspect. <laughs> do you like, when you go camping, like when there are fire bans, does it kind of take away from the camping experience or um, do you feel like it, it still kind of feels the same? I think, you know, it's, it's as good as you can get. Um, I think sometimes, you know, obviously I wish that the West was less on fire. Um, but I think, uh, <laughs> um, I think we all do Aiden, yeah. not just you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at the same time though, um, Obviously, you know, you deal with what you can deal with. And I think there's lots of other good camping, um, camping aspects. And I think that the loss of a fire is at the end of the world. So, yeah, I mean, the cavemen would disagree with you, but okay. Valid <laughs> with, with the today's luxury of like Nortex and, uh, and, and like yeah. jackets. We, we have enough to keep us warm. Yes. Um, I had another camping question. What was your favorite campsite or like kind of like camping experience you've been on? Um, I think my favorite would be, there was a great backpacking trip I had last summer, actually with one of my best friends in Oregon. It was only a couple of nights, but we went up to this beautiful Alpine lake um, in a big meadow. And it was just incredible. We were like one of the few people there. Um, and um, yeah, it was just, uh, I, I don't know, it was so, um, I don't know. It was just so, so peaceful. And it was just a really nice, it was like late August as well. So it was kind of like the last thing I did before I flew back to Toronto for the year. And it was just, it was, it was, really, it was a really nice trip. I don't know. I'm trying to think of more specifics, but it was just, I have good memories of it. Do you find that trips with like less people kind of like make those better connections or with a bit more people you would have more fun? Like, do you prefer smaller think- group trips or bigger group trips? There's a place for both. There's definitely a place for both. I think there's times where um, <laughs> there's times where uh, it's it's good to have smaller stuff, and there's also times where it's good to have bigger stuff. It just depends on the mood. What advice do you have for incoming first years, returning students, just anyone at school in general? Oh gosh, I think my biggest thing would just be like get involved and like make mistakes. I know that sounds like kind of stupid, but like I don't know, try things you might not be interested in. You might end up being interested in. I feel like most of my time here has been like. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll give it a shot. And then like, you either like it, maybe you don't like it. Worst case, 
you spent some time, not the end of the world. I think it's kind of, um, it's all, it's all part of the fun and it's all, you know, it's why we're here to figure out what you want to do and what, what interests you. And it's not, it's not just the academics. Don't, don't make too many mistakes in your academics. You can avoid it. I don't know. It's important to remember like, to like do your homework sometimes, but you know, try new things and sort of get involved would be my main, my main, although very cliche advice. For sure. Well, Aiden, I wanted to say thank you for taking the time out of your day to meet with me and for finally figuring out the logistics and, I had a great time. <laughs> and May as well. Enjoy figuring out all of downtown walk around today. Will do. All right. Take care. Have a good afternoon. Have a good afternoon. Bye. Bye. Now, wasn't that just an excellent sit down with Aiden? While the logistics of planning this interview have been pretty gruesome, I had an excellent time meeting with Aiden and just talking about Frosh Week in general, what goes through planning this orientation week, his own PEY co-op experience and what he's working on and just silly things like what it's like to go camping, what the school experience is like and advice for other coming people towards campus. I really hope that you enjoyed this sit down and I look forward to releasing the next episode for everyone.